This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 13, Episode 10. This is Writing Excuses, handling a large cast versus a small cast. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Amal. I'm Maurice. And we're going to talk a little bit about nuts and bolts on this episode. We want to find out specifically from Maurice and Amal how you do your writing, how you actually physically go about doing it. Okay. Do you want to go first? backing away from the question I mean the thing with me is that uh, I have never written a novel I like not even as a kid writing you know the longest things that I wrote as a kid were role-playing character backgrounds in like you know over 10 pages and nine point font that's like the thing that I did but uh, so I write a lot of short stories um, and uh, and because short stories are so to me, flexible. Um, I've tended to have a different approach to most, almost every one, uh, except for the button chair part. Like I just you, know, you sit and you write. But um, but I've, uh, there are some that I've outlined, some that I haven't. Uh, there are somewhere I've come up with um, the characters first. Sometimes I've come up with the plot first, and the characters kind of uh, arose from from it. Um, the biggest cast of characters I think I ever had to manage was uh, when I was actually writing an episode for um, uh, Book Burners, which is a serial box serial, uh, which is like TV but written. And uh, so I had a cast of characters handed to me, um, and and keeping track of that was really interesting. And it was a, a completely different challenge and thinking about things like A plots and B plots, and uh, which I don't know if I've ever otherwise done in a short story, at least not until that point. Now, specifically on characters, Amal, mm-hmm. what do you do? Do you do anything? Do you, like, pre-write characters, mm-hmm. or do you just see where it goes? I think a lot of the time I have a scene in mind, and I have a feeling or a, um, a texture that I want to generate uh, out of this conflict or out of this conversation, or I really want to experience this thing and make other people experience it. Uh, And sometimes that feeling comes from a character I have in mind. And sometimes uh, the, 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 the feeling dictates the characters. Um, Yeah. When do you add a new character? Gosh. uh, Just when it feels right? Just when it feels feels right. right. Yeah. Are you usually doing smaller casts or you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Usually the casts are not more than four Mm-hmm. Um, and that's uh, and and it's really interesting to take stock of how the length of the story has tended to determine that. Although that said, um, I did just recently finish uh, a novella with Max Gladstone, where there are two characters uh, in in this novella. It's epistolary, and they're time traveling um, spies <laughs> fighting a, a time war. Uh, but uh, as one does, uh, but so there are two characters and there are two background characters beyond that who are there like motivating them. Uh, so, but, and that's sustained over novella length, but I think that's generally the exception to a rule of, um, the shorter the story, the fewer the characters, uh, and somewhere at novelette length, you start having the flexibility to p- like put different groups in play as opposed to just two different characters in play. Um, 
But I tend to, I've, I've tended not to think that way because I think most of the short stories I've written have tended to be structure-driven as opposed to character-driven. Yeah, one of the things that, that I found um, with uh, both writing short fiction and writing novels and also dealing with puppetry is that at a certain point, uh, you become very con- trained to the constraints of the form that you're working in and will begin to naturally gravitate and and. Uh, move down the decision tree to make choices that fit the links that you're supposed to be working with. Mm -hmm. Like one of the constraints that I had when I was working with puppet theater was that there were two performers, which meant that we were limited by the number of hands to the number of characters we could have on stage at a time. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. That's like the the most beautiful physical manifestation of this problem. Yeah. Yeah. How many hands do you have? Right. And and so uh, so I would naturally I'd be like I would naturally say, "Oh, well let's let's think about doing Snow Queen because this is a thing where she encounters a lot of different characters but only one at a time." Hmm. Uh, whereas, you know, Aida, there's like a cast of thousands. That's not a good choice because I just can't get that many people on stage. Right. And and I feel that way that that when I am the the hardest thing for me when I am jumping back and forth between short fiction and novels is remembering which metric I'm using. Yeah, uh, because I can uh, like I'm, I'm working on a novel right now that has a, a an ensemble cast, but it it also has an ensemble cast of a lot of uh, of a lot of onlookers. Hmm. That um, and because it's a murder mystery, I actually need to give them all weight because you don't know which one is right. Yeah. So, um, so it's interesting because everybody that comes on stage, I actually have to give the same amount of weight to. Mm-hmm. Whereas normally, when I'm doing a, sh- a shorter piece or or something, anyone who's not important, I, I try not to give them a name. I try not to give them uh, any distinguishing characteristics. I just want them to come in, say their bit, and get out again. And here I have to make sure that everybody gets a name, that everybody seems to have a backstory, that everybody seems to have a distinguishing characteristic. And it's, it is a very different metric. Absolutely. You know, by shorter story, you mean under 400,000 words instead <laughs> right. of over. Yes, right, yes, yes. Right, okay, I get that. I yeah, get that. yeah. I get what's, that. what's the smallest cast you've ever dealt with, Brandon? Uh, I've done I've done two-person casts before, but that was in my flash fiction. Okay. Um, large, <laughs> anything more than, yeah. I mean, the, the Wheel of Time had 2,400 characters. <laughs> Stormlight's got something around, yeah, eight or 900 or something like that, so... <gasps> Wait, um, wait, wait, sorry. I'm having, I'm having to, sorry, say those numbers again. Yeah, 2,400 characters. Yeah. I don't know if you can hear the face I'm making. Yeah, the book I, I just finished was 540,000 words long. Um, we cut it to like 460. But um, anyway, let's move on to Maurice. <laughs> so Maurice, amazing. what is your, what is your, like. How do you do that? Sorry. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm, I'm talking, we're doing this podcast, I'm thinking, wow, they use very different methods. Uh, um, because for me, if I'm going to track this cast, um, yeah. I, need sp- I, I need spreadsheets for the small stories. Yeah. yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Because even the small stories, it's going to be, I'll generally do two or three about the same characters, and I'll have 60 characters in uh, across the series. Um, you really novellas. cannot see our mouths just um, hanging open. But, you know, Stormlight, it's a huge wiki with tons of characters and wow. things like this. And um, that's why I have two continuity <laughs> editors <laughs> um, and, and whatnot. So, uh, so yeah, it's a very different experience 
for me, Maurice, how do you track your characters? How do you come up with them? How do you design them? How do you, yeah. So, uh, so I come from a gaming background. Mm-hmm. And so basically my, my rule is once I've bothered to give you a name, <laughs> I'm going to roll you up as a character. <laughs> do you actually do that? Well, I don't roll them up. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but, I think we'd love it if you did. <laughs> <I'd be right. laughs> um, but yeah, well, once we get to the stage where I'm naming you, then I go through all the things I would do for any character. You know, I'm figuring out what your motivation is. I'm figuring out what your, back, what your backstory is. Um, you know, I'm doing all those things because if, if you have a name, because name for me, naming is one of the hardest things. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to go through the effort of, of giving you a name, you come with everything that comes with being a character. Mm-hmm. Um, and you actually have these sheets, like you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, oh wow! That, really? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So I, uh, well, I mean, they would quietly. They look a lot like these. So oh. so, uh, um, so I have a sheet, and it's basically divided into quadrants. Uh, where I just jot down information for each of my characters so I can just track them that way. Can, uh, can we put one of those templates on the website in the liner notes? Sure. Great. Yeah. That is oh. so cool because that's – and I want a copy of that. <laughs> like, I've done that for my characters in retrospect for like my own fun sometimes right. that, uh, you know, come up with a character. This is actually also within the context of role-playing but role-playing freeform online uh, and sometimes just enjoying taking a character sheet from, say, you know, World of Darkness or something like that and just turning that character who is fully rounded and stuff into a character on right. a sheet. Well, and, and – all that being said, but the probably largest cast of characters I've had to deal with was for my urban fantasy mm-hmm. uh, trilogy, which I'm calling, I basically call my accidental trilogy because I never intended to write a trilogy. <laughs> um, but it was all based in the Arthurian saga. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, in a lot of ways, that work has been done for me. Mm-hmm. I can just take the, all, all the characters and then just sort of, I, well, here's how, how they've been traditionally been portrayed. Now let me just do my tweaks and, and you know, how would they plug into the hood, basically. Right. Um, uh, but that was... A lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, it's not the numbers you have, but it was still a couple dozen characters per book, which is larger than I'd ever done before. Um, and and tracking them was yeah. was tough. Uh, <laughs> I throw those numbers around to to be on spine, but usually they'll be like thirty main characters, right? Mm-hmm. Maximum. Um, but and that's what gets really tricky is remembering yeah. this character's motivations and things like this. And I usually, when I'm writing these books, I'm writing one group straight through, and then I'm writing another group straight through, and another group straight through, at least to a kind of break point, and then weaving it together. And then you have to do all these passes to make sure that the different stories blend together in a way that's dramatically and pacing-wise uh, works. It's, it gets very complicated there, but I find if you jump each scene to the new characters, it always feels like you're stopping and starting mm-hmm. and things yeah. like this. So. Yeah. Ryan, can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. So do you find that with these really large casts that that, like thinking back to what Mary was saying about the um, the constraints kind of dictating what kind of story you tell, do you find that you sort of have to tell a big, okay. Yeah. No. Is it that you're, you, because you're choosing to tell really big stories that you have to have a commensurate number right. of characters? Or can you imagine a situation where you have that number of characters for a small scale story? I have no idea how you do it. I suppose <laughs> we can imagine it. It's, um, <laughs> it's certainly a, a challenge yeah. that you could put up before people. With me, I grew up reading epic fantasy. I wanted to write epic fantasy. I was reading um, these these stories with these huge casts like Anne McCaffrey's Dragon Rise of Pern and Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time. And I would read these books. And when I sat down to write, I just naturally started doing this. The big problem was, and I, I tell this to people a lot, is I jumped in 
just trying to write that large cast from page one, and I failed spectacularly hmm. um, my first few tries. And what I realized is a lot of these casts grew organically over time. The author didn't say, I'm going to have 2,400 named characters <laughs> right. in the Wheel of Time or whatever. Robert Jordan told a story about one character who interacted with a lot of people and did some expanding on who these people were and then started telling their stories. And... Um, I think the form is very important to this. When I write a Stormlight book, which are the really big ones, we, we joke about it. Most of my books are, are kind of normal length. Mm-hmm. But when I write these, uh, the, the 500,000-word ones, I actually plot them as a trilogy with a short story collection included. And oh. I write them as three books and a short story collection, which I am interweaving as mm-hmm. I go. And I put it together. And the idea is, behind, is that when you pick this up, you're not just going to get a story. You're going to get a lot of stories all woven together toward a, a big goal at the end. But, you know, you can talk about the difference between the way you are handling the the stories in the short story collection yes. mm-hmm. versus the way you are handling the larger cast. Definitely. And do, does it, do, do you go into those differently or do you use the same? Absolutely differently. It's just the same setting. Like the, the most recent one, um, there's a short story in it about a lighthouse keeper. And his family has kept this lighthouse forever, and a, a disaster has just struck. And he is going through the town helping people with the problems from mm-hmm. the disaster. And he just goes to, to four different people, and really he's collecting their wood so huh. he can keep his, his lighthouse burning. So, But it, you, you interact with the ship captain, whose ship is just not there anymore, hmm. um, and help out the sailors, but you know, end up with their, their wood. And you go here to the, to the woman whose farm was just completely destroyed. But their shed was broken, so I got some wood. And then he goes up and stokes the flame to the, to the lighthouse. And that little sort of story has no connection to the big story except for the fact that the disaster happened in the big story. Yeah. The main characters, their job is they can, like, stop this. They can work with this disaster. He can't. It just— He's the lighthouse keeper. Yeah. Um, and so it, it allows me to just tell these different types of stories all in one package. That was mm-hmm. a huge tangent. No, no, I no love, actually it that. was not a huge. Yeah. It, that, that was exactly on point because this is uh, – the thing that I like about that example is that uh, one of the things that I, I find with a lot of fiction – a lot of processes that it's a, it's a very fractal thing mm-hmm. that that you've got something that you do on this big scale and it looks totally different because the scale is huge but when you start drilling down into it you know on a scene by scene basis uh, you're doing exactly the same things. You know, in this scene, I can only have this many characters because this is how many words right. I have. Well, and it's beyond that. There's a, a sort of reader, at least me, maybe writer, brain space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I can track maybe four or five characters in a conversation, and if there's more people trying to participate in this conversation, I have trouble bringing them up enough to remind you that you're that they're there. I've got to arrange these situations so the smaller number are in each given scene. Yeah, it's like I totally forgot that Howard is even in the room. Oh, yeah, Howard. <laughs> put your pants back on. Um, let's, we haven't even stopped for the book of the week yet. Oh, We're at 15 sorry. minutes. So, uh, <laughs> sorry, this is a very interesting conversation for us. Um, let's talk about To Steal the Stars. This, oh, my goodness. Oh, my okay. God. So... We, we both want to talk about it? Go, you can start. Go okay. Ahead. I learned about it from you. That's fair. So this is a podcast. Um, it is an audio play called To Steal the Stars. It's coming from uh, Tor Labs and Gideon Media. This is one of the best acted and best produced. And best directed. And best directed yeah. uh, and best written 
pieces of audio drama that I have ever heard. And I, I say this as someone who used to perform in it, uh, review it. And uh, this is phenomenally good, and it is hitting all of the right science fiction and character buttons for me. I was thoroughly unprepared for how hard I would fall for this. If you describe to me what the contents or like even the genre of this uh, audio drama was, I'd be like, okay, cool, that sounds interesting, but I wouldn't necessarily dive into it. And people describe it in a lot of ways. People will talk about it as noir, as a noir thriller heist, as a near future noir thriller heist thing. All cool, all fine, but it doesn't prepare you for how incredible the characters are, how tight the pacing is, how, um, and just all of those beautiful grace notes of, of, of the directing. Like I, I can't, get over the fact that there's a part where two people are having pillow talk and it actually sounds like normal people. Yeah. Like it, it just, it's so hard to do that. It's hard to do that on the page, fiction wise. It's hard to, I mean, you know, representing people in intimate situations is chancy at the best of times, but this was the best of times and yeah. also the worst of times. And it's just amazing. And and in context, and, and I'll, I'll let us segue back in, uh, one of the reasons that I think it's actually really good for you to listen to uh, is because as radio theater, each character has to have a completely distinct voice. Yes. And it's not just the actor. It's the way the, they are approaching the words, the way the script has been written. Each character has a distinct motivation. They have a distinct characterization. And some of the episodes have very small casts. Some of them are quite large with multiple voices all happening at the same time. And it's a really interesting way to start thinking about an aspect of of a cast, which is the way characters actually speak. I think it was also all recorded in an actual hangar or not in a hangar necessarily, but it was all recorded in one space and they were, the actors were allowed to occupy that space and spread out. Oh, really? Yeah. So it wasn't in a studio uh, the way we are. So you, the reason, part of the reason the audio is so fantastic is that you get the sense of people's movements through a very large echoey space. Mm-hmm. Um, they're evoking a top secret hangar, basically, where secret objects are kept. And you really get the feel of how these voices enter and leave space, of how close people are, how far they are apart uh, and the performances have more room to breathe so it's oh it's just so good it's so good and it's going to be a book that um, comes out I think November 7th hmm. of, of last year from when this is airing yeah, I know. so it's time a book travel. now <laughs> <laughs> alright so we are almost out of time even though we only just did that but I did want to throw one more question at you guys which is let's focus on the small cast I've talked about the large cast how do you make um, a small number of characters wear a lot of hats if you've got a very limited cast or very limited space to do so, so I'm doing a, I'm doing a, a story right now, um, which is basically two characters on a heist. Hmm. Um, and normally heist stories have a, a huge number of characters. Uh, so what I have them doing is that I have them each with a primary expertise. Um, and then I have given them each an area of competence that is they're okay at but they're not great at. Mm. Uh, and what that does is it allows me to... Um, the, the nice thing about having a character as multiple hats is that uh, you, you can demonstrate, uh, this person is really skilled. Mm. But by having them encounter things that they're not so good at, you can actually ramp up the drama significantly. Mm-hmm. 
I think the smaller the cast, the more it becomes important to take into consideration uh, their contrasts to each other, to have one character's strengths be the other's weaknesses, or or to have them complement each other, um, but, which is the same thing, actually. But yeah, so uh, just to, the, the fewer characters there are in the story, I think the more load-bearing the relationship between the characters needs to be, uh, and the more... Um, nuanced and encompassing it has to be. The more characters you have, the more variation you can have on those lines. Right. Yeah, when, uh, when I'm dealing with a smaller cast, it's, actually it was a problem that uh, I, I didn't realize was even a thing until I started doing the, the, the massive urban fantasy, which was the whole issue of screen time. Uh, when I have mm-hmm. this large cast, it's like, you know, how do I, you know, manufacture enough screen time for some of these characters who I've <laughs> bothered to roll up and, and create as characters? They now need screen time. How do I balance that? But in a smaller cast, um, you know, I have this space. And again, they get to occupy the space. So they do have the sufficient screen time. So now what are we going to do with that? Because you now have to occupy all of the space all on your, on your own. Um, and so for me, I'm thinking of my story, um, The Ache of Home, which is uh, up on, on Uncanny Magazine. Mm-hmm cast of three. Um, and each of the characters are, are, are so, uh, so completely distinct. Uh, and, uh, I, I could tell who's talking without any dialogue talk, mm-hmm. text, basically, because each one is so distinct. Each one has a different role. And like, even my main character, she is, she's a, a single mom. She's you know, struggling in the neighborhood. Yet she also has this magical ability to, to tie in with the green. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the, the one that uh, her co-protagonist, you know, is this uh, gentleman. He's recently out from prison, but his tattoos tell the story of his life. Mm-hmm. And he can peel the tattoos off to they become actual objects. Wow, um, oh, that's so, so cool. And so, and, and they're just, and, and, and so they have the, all the screen time uh, and... Frankly, I just have more time to just delve deeper into, and, and I think ultimately that's what it is. I have more room to delve deeper into these characters and their interactions. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, you were going to give us some homework, Maurice, that's kind of along those lines. Oh, yeah, very much along these lines. Um, so uh, uh, it's my, out of my uh, dialogue class I, I, I teach, um, and I, I call it as a talking heads exercise. And, and again, uh, one of the roles of dialogue is, you know, by the end of dialogue, dialogue ha- you have characterized, you, you use dialogue to characterize your, your uh, to develop characterization. Um, and so one that when the goal is, is that by the end of, uh, that you should be able to write characters with such a dis- uh, distinct voice, I shouldn't need dialogue tags hmm. to tell them apart. Um, I, I was thinking about that when you were talking about the, the audio play. Is mm-hmm. very much it makes you very conscious of that. How do my characters sound? Um, you know, distinct from one another, mm-hmm. um, even in those brief interactions. So that what, what I uh, so the exercise is so you have a, a married couple, um, and they um, they bump into each other at a coffee shop when neither one was supposed to be there. Yeah, you know, the one's supposed to be at work, one's supposed to be doing their, their other thing, but they bump into each other at, at a coffee shop. So obviously, they have an agenda. And they have a secret they want to hide, and the other one's trying to get that out of them. Write that scene. Write that scene with no dialogue with tags. With no dialogue tags. Awesome. All right. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. 
They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 